Welcome to the Auto Parent Podcast with my mom. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Auto Parent Podcast, episode 19, which we're calling The Candler Difference, and I'll tell you why. I'm your host, Pastor Casey Van Atta Casebeer, and y'all know me, so let's get to our special guest for this episode. Our special guest is Reverend Zach Moffitt, and he is a senior pastor at Pulaski First United Methodist Church in Pulaski, Tennessee. He graduated from Candler School of Theology along with the often referenced Reverend Corey Alexander Willette. And she has this running joke about the Candler difference, which is really funny. <laughs> um, Zach is also a dad to twins, Emma and William. So welcome to the pod, friend. It is so good to like actually see your face. It is so good to see you. It's, even if it's over Zoom, it's so good to see you. I know, right? So what I want you to do first is just like tell our listeners about some of the work that you've been up to because I have the privilege of knowing about some of it and it's super exciting. And so I want you to share it with our listeners. Yeah. So Pulaski First is in Pulaski, Tennessee, as Casey said. And Pulaski is a small rural town um, just about 20 miles north of the Alabama-Tennessee border. Um and we have a rural hospital in town. Um, and like everyone probably knows, rural hospitals are struggling um, to help with patient uh, turnover rate, to help with patient or struggling with patient retention rates um, and patient recurrence rates. And so we have a small little Methodist college in town where they have a think tank called the Turner Center. And their ministry and mission is to help bring about economic and spiritual revival um, in rural communities across the country. Um, and so we have partnered with the Turner Center to create something called the Rural Health Advocacy Network. Um, it's this large umbrella to help residents of not only Pulaski and the county in which we reside, Dallas County, but hopefully this is a model that other rural communities can take up. So we're partnered with our local hospital where doctors refer patients to us here at the church, and we're hoping to expand to other churches, and we partner them with patient advocates where uh, the patient needs help remembering doctor's appointments. The advocate will help them do that. If they need help getting a ride to the hospital, they'll help facilitate getting a ride, if they have any questions, navigating insurance, all of those things that come with the complex healthcare system. That's one of the aims in which we're we're trying to help out with. We're also partnering with local clergy to create a chaplaincy group because most rural hospitals don't have spiritual health. And so, yeah, it's fun work, tiring work, exciting work. <laughs> yeah, deeply, deeply important work. Right. Important and faithful work. And I, I am just so proud for you and excited about this initiative. I think it's really, really important. I also want to say too, like, as you were talking, I was hearing you say the word rural, which is how I say it too. And I was thinking people may not know that we're saying rural. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about not urban, right? Right. <laughs> we're right. talking not about urban. rural Um, I get so much crap for, um, from the youth at Foundry, especially, um, because they think I have a really country accent, which is really funny to me because I feel like I don't, but when I get tired, like all bets are off, like all bets are off and it comes out and I just is what it is. But they think it's hilarious how I say, um, oil, like vegetable oil or like aluminum full, like or olive oil, yeah. Or yeah. Or like <laughs> bull the water. Like they think that's hilarious. And I'm like, that's like the only country thing I have in my accent. Like most of the time people can't even tell where I'm from. So it's just hilarious to me. But anyway, as you were saying rural, I was like, I know exactly what he's talking about, but I wonder if everybody else does. <laughs> so yes, not not urban. <laughs> right. This work that you're doing is so, so, so important. I also like I, I wanted to know if you would tell us a little bit about the car seat stuff. Yeah. So one of the issues that we've run into right up front is this is a new initiative and rightfully so doctors are uh, wary to trust <laughs> uh, this new initiative. And so we've been struggling to, to get patients. And so Reverend Alan Stanton, the director of the Turner Center, just point blank asked, like, well, what is it that you need? Like, we're willing to help. <clears throat> and so the OB department at the hospital said, well, our nurses are buying car seats out of pocket because about 50% of the new parents who go through our hospital can't afford to purchase a car seat. 
And so Alan said, well, that's certainly something we can do. And so he called me and said, can the church do a car seat drive? I said, sure. And let's not make it just a First Methodist thing. Let's make it a Pulaski-wide, Giles County-wide thing. And up to date, it officially, our car seat drive was a month long. It officially ended April 15th. And at the end date, First Methodist alone collected 22 car seats, and we raised almost $3,000 um, to go to the car seat fund at the hospital. That's amazing. Amazing work. And then I talked with Alan a couple weeks ago about just to see how other churches did. And I don't have the official count of other churches' car seats, but he said one church alone, a smaller rural church, (laughs) (laughs) a smaller rural church raised about $1,500 to go to the car seat drive. So it's just, we were blown away by, we weren't sure. I asked Alan, I said, what's your definition of success for this? Mm. And he said, if we can get 10 car seats, that's, you know, that, and we were blown away by the response. Yeah. Look at God, we might say. Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's amazing. Amazing. Okay. Well, now it's time for our, uh, our special guest questions. These are questions that we ask every guest who comes on the podcast. It just is like the best way to get to know somebody, I think. So we're going to start off with what is your biggest pet peeve? Yeah. Kara, my spouse, will tell you that I have a lot of pet peeves. <laughs> <laughs> the the biggest one that's been aggravating me the most is autocorrect on my phone uh, because I'll know that I'm trying to type something that I know is correct and it'll autocorrect it to something that I don't want it to be. Uh-huh. So, for example, we were uh, making our shopping list last week and we needed some Bisquick to make some, you know, some good old waffles. And I typed in Bisquick and it changed it to like Disquick. And I'm like, that's not, that's in like two separate words. I'm like, that's not, I want Bisquick. One word. <laughs> Come on, auto. And like it took four times before my iPhone would accept that I'm spelling this quick. Yeah. No, I hate that. What what you may um, figure out quickly, listeners, is that both Zach and I are ones on the Enneagram um, and we have perfectionist tendencies and we really like things to be done in a certain way. And it's uh, right. it's very frustrating when you're trying to type something and you know you're doing it accurately um, and autocorrect like changes it, it's just, it, it screws up our whole worldview, really. Right. It makes me doubt myself. <laughs> me too. So I also have some autocorrect woes, but it's mostly just autocorrect changing this certain word to duck over and over again. <laughs> it's very frustrating. Yes. That happens too. That happens too. <laughs> okay. So I don't always sort of partake in the special guest questions, but this week I have something that's really annoying and I'm just going to like own up front that like it's a double standard and I I don't care. Like I'm here for it. And I just like, I need you to know that like I'm full of shit and it just is what it is. What has really been annoying me lately is that there's like this whole movement of like taking laundry products like laundry detergent. Does this happen in your house? If it does, I'm so sorry. I'm about to offend you. Um, no, go ahead. Laundry detergent and like the things that you add to your laundry, taking them out of the containers that they're in and putting them in different containers. It's insanity. Like, I don't know who start. I don't know what is going on. I don't know why this is happening. It's very like, it's just ridiculous. It's a waste of time. You you have to be buying, like, the, the containers are always too big for the amount of product, so it looks ridiculous, and then you have to go buy more even though you don't need it. It's, like, wasteful. It's, it's just asinine is what it is. <laughs> but here's how I'm full of shit. So I also, though, am, like, obsessed with home edit the show on Netflix that are these, this company that's based out of Nashville that like edits people's houses. And so what I have done recently is I've bought, I went to the container store and spent like an obscene amount of money and bought like all of these bins. Like I'm looking at them, they're all stacked up. So I have like, (laughs) I have like thousands of bins in my house where I take like food out of boxes and I put it like the boys snack food or whatever. I take it out of the boxes and I put it in these bins. I'm so full of shit. I'm doing the exact same thing. But the laundry (laughs) thing just really gets me for some reason. I'm like, what are you doing? Like you don't need to take your pods out of the bag and put them in a clear glass container. Like nobody's looking at your laundry. (laughs) Nobody. No, we don't. We don't do that. We we don't okay, even good. need the pods. We we just have the unhealthy liquid detergent that we just oh, kind of just like great. pour in the yeah. 
Yeah. I don't know. But yeah. as a one, the bin, the bin thing is like, feels justified. You know, it just I can feels, see that. feels justified. Well, I mean, yeah, I can see that. I respect that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So this is my favorite question that we get to ask, which is like, I always say this, it doesn't have to be a good story. Just like the hardest time or a really hard time that you've laughed recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. I laugh a lot. A nervous laugh. I laugh sometimes to like unhealthily suppress my anger. Uh, but Ooh. the hardest time, there, there are two hardest times, which, which I've laughed recently. Mine and Kara's favorite show is Schitt's Creek. And so like <laughs> any, <laughs> any, any Ew, David. Creek, that's <laughs> <laughs> someone, someone sent me, I don't remember who, someone sent me the clip of when he and Moira are making the enchiladas Yes, and they're trying to fold in the cheese and I'm in my office cracking up. <laughs> And our office administrator, Kim, is asking what I'm laughing at. And I'm like, Shit's Creek. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so good. But we just roll on the couch laughing. And then the other story, it's, it's regarding uh, my son, William, who's two and a half at the previous church in which I served, the church had a parsonage, which is they provided a house for us to live in. And it was across the parking lot from the church. And so we would go outside and play in the church parking lot because we were in the middle of nowhere. No one really parked there except on Sunday mornings. And so it was like mid morning. I don't remember what day of the week it was. It was in the middle of the pandemic. So like no one was really working and we were outside and Karen and I are talking and Emma's riding her little car thing around and all of a sudden we hear dong and we turn and William had put a bucket on his head and walked smack dab into the basketball pole. I will say I was I was a good dad and didn't laugh until after he got up and went, I okay. Which made it even funnier. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Uh, we rolled laughing. And of course, he thought it was funny because he was the center of attention at that uh -huh. moment. And for those who don't have twins or don't have multiple children, oftentimes they're vying to be the center of attention. And yes. So William thought it was hilarious that he made <laughs> mommy and daddy laugh so hard. But we, yes, we we haven't laughed that hard in a long time. <laughs> that is so good. I love it. I love it when that happens, especially because like there's no recreating it, right? It's like a moment right. in time where it happens. And kids will often do this thing where they want to recreate the moment. So right. Riggs does that all the time where he says something, make us laugh. And then he just says it's, you know, until it's no longer funny until we want to like cram a banana in our skull or something, which is great. <laughs> it's great. I love it when that happens. Kids are the best. Yes, they are. Well, now it's time for a segment that we call Parenting Fails, Confessions, and Wins, FCW. Um, so um, we're just going to start off with some parenting fails. So the parenting fail that I have for today involves my son Riggs. When he was born, he had this like curly hair and we were like, what is going on? Because my hair is like pin straight. My husband has no hair. And so we were like, where did this come from? So we grew his hair out to where it was like really, really long because it was so curly and cute. And then when we moved here, we spent like, oh my gosh, every weekend of last summer at the beach. And it is really hard to get sand out of long hair. Like it's just really hard. So I got real frustrated one day and I was like, I'm cutting it. I'm cutting it. I don't care anymore. So I cut it. And then I was like, devastated. So we've been growing it out since last summer. So his hair has been growing for a year. It's finally to the point again where he, because I thought like his curls would be gone, you know, because when you give a kid their first haircut usually, but they came back and I was like, oh my gosh, his hair is so cute right now. I love it so much. We're also like getting to summer. So I'm like, oh, am I going to cut it off again because of the sand? But he took care of that for me. And this week he found my hair cutting scissors, went and hid in a corner and cut the front part of his hair that goes right on his forehead. He cut it a literal half inch on his front head. So the rest of his hair is like super long and it's like sticking up like alfalfa in the front. And honestly, I can't, I don't know, I can't bring myself to cut the rest. So I've been like swooping his hair over to like try to hide it, but it's those little pieces are still like sticking out. Oh. So anyway, that's my fail. What do you got? Yeah. So this fail isn't recent, but it like still haunts me to this day because it's one of Kara's favorite stories to tell. Uh -huh. So Emma and William were probably 
three, four months old at the time. And at this time, you know, being new parents, let alone new parents to twins, like we just, and we still do the Walmart pickup, like no shame, just order online, go pick it up. It's Mm -hmm. great. At the time we were living right outside of a larger city in Clarks, uh, in Tennessee called Clarksville. So, you know, it was 30 minutes to get to Clarksville to pick up, 30 minutes to get back. And it was a Friday, my day off, and the twins were still napping. And it was about time for me to leave. Well, it had been a busy week at the church. I felt like I hadn't seen much of Kara, much of Emma and William. And so I really wanted us to take a family trip. It was stupid and silly, I know, but I wanted us to take a family trip to go pick up the groceries. <laughs> I'm already at laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and so Kara's like, We're not waking these babies up. And I'm like, Well, it's time for it's like 2 30. Like, it's time for us to wake them up anyway. Very naive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so finally, Kara. I think just out of frustration and sick of me just talking and talking and talking about it. I said, fine, go wake them up and we'll go. So I go and wake them up. They're like happy to see daddy. They're happy, you know, until we get in the car. Mm-hmm. And Casey, I kid you not, they screamed the and cried from the entire time <laughs> to Walmart. The entire time we had to wait in line to get the, the damn groceries. Yep. And the entire time back home. <laughs> And Kara at some point, and, and it was like in the middle of rush hour in downtown Clarksville to go. So yeah. like, it wasn't a 30 minute drive. It was like an hour long drive. Yeah. And so at, at some point at the height of their screaming, Kara looks at me and she says, how about this family trip, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and like, we were already frustrated and angry at just the scenario. And like, it was not a good moment. Yeah. It was not a good moment. I bet you never made that mistake again, though. <laughs> no, no. No matter how much I wanted to take a family trip to Walmart, of all places, this baby slept. <laughs> and I just took my sad butt to the mm-hmm. car and, and went and picked up her groceries. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I wish I could say a that. Hard fail. That didn't happen to me, but I'm I'm positive that it did. I mean, and our, our boys, neither one really liked the car at all, but Cash no. especially hated it. And neither one of our kids took a pacifier, which like, I don't know, with cash, I was like, oh, I guess this just is the way it is. Maybe like they just don't take pacifiers. And then I realized like, no, they don't like they there are babies that take pacifiers. Like I was so frustrated. (laughs) And had I known like had I had rigs first, I would have had a million babies. I don't know what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that cash was he was lucky he was first. Because if I had had rigs first and then I had cash, I would have been like, oh my, what is wrong with this child? Like he had that thing where he like threw up all the time, reflux or whatever. Yeah. Didn't take a pacifier, screamed every time we got in the car. Anyway, they had me thinking this was just how it was supposed to be. Ooh, you can convince me of a lot of things. Like, oh, it's just hard. I get it. It's just hard. Let's just do it this way then. And then I had rigs and I was like, what? (laughs) It didn't have to be this way. <laughs> so God knew what she was doing when she gave me cash first. Let me just say that. <laughs> Let me say that. Yeah, Emma liked the car. She would fall asleep easier. She didn't like the car, but she would fall asleep easier in the car. William would he just he did not like the car. Yeah. Just did not did not like the car. There was one moment where he was like, We forgot to pull his little cover down over his carrier seat and we were driving and like the sun's really bright and that was before we got that neat little shade that hangs on your car window uh-huh. and he's like crying and Carol looks back and she's like he's literally staring into the sun <laughs> like he's not to, he's just crying and staring into the sun <laughs> what are you doing dude <laughs> so she had to like she had to unbuckle and turn his head away because he refused to look away just like yeah that that kind of stuff used to make greg so mad he would just be like what why can't why are they doing this like why can't they just not do this like duh it's hurting your eyes it's making you cry stop doing it and i was just like "Ooh, i bet your mama has some stories about you oh i'm sure she does I know she does. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the driving thing, though, this is a good segue into my confession for this week, which is Greg got a new job. He's working outside of the home. I've had the kids home by myself until we could hire a nanny. We finally hired a nanny, yay, who will have started by the time this podcast releases, and I'm so excited. But (laughs) the only way I've been able to manage the kids is by taking them out once a day 
and having to like do Zoom meetings from the car and like manage all of this stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to take him to the playground, going to let him play. And then what I've started doing, and this is my confession, is after we leave the playground, I just drive. Like I wound up in the middle of Fairfax County the other day, which like for reference is far from where I live. (laughs) I was like, where am I? Like I was just driving. Like I had gotten all the way to Dulles Airport, which is like I live really close to Reagan Airport. But Dulles is like way up in the like left corner of Virginia, like outside of D.C. And I was like, I don't know how I got here. But literally like my eyes were glazed over and I was like, we're just going to drive. Like, we're just going to drive. I don't care how far we have to drive just to see if I could get rigs to go to sleep. And he would. But of course, now I look up and I'm an hour from home. <laughs> I'm like, this is not the same as driving Tennessee back roads, which is what I used to do, like through Cotton Town. Yeah. So that's my confession is that I've put like, I don't know, a thousand miles in my car in the last seven weeks. <laughs> All right. Do you have a confession for us? I do. I do. It's a silly confession. My spouse will pick on me from for the fact that I am, I'm a grown man who enjoys potty humor, <laughs> bathroom humor. I'm a grown woman. <laughs> I enjoy it as well. This is a poop-friendly <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I think it's so funny that Emma and William think it's so funny when they toot in the bathtub or when like we're changing their diapers and they fart. <laughs> and it's gotten to the point to where because I laugh so hard, she'll like try and push out farts. Oh and yeah, go, Riggs, Daddy, I tooted, yes. and they go. <laughs> It's so funny. And it drives Kara bananas because she just does not like bathroom humor. Oh it's just, my she's gosh. like, stop teaching our kids to laugh at farting and using the bathroom. And I'm like, it's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I love it. And I also love a good dad joke. But the confession part is I'm not good or witty enough to come up with a good dad joke. I just will laugh at a dad joke yeah. because I find them really funny. I love a good dad joke. It's my favorite. Yeah. Greg, um, for Christmas from my aunt and her wife, got a book of dad jokes. And so occasionally <laughs> he'll just like pick it up, like commit a couple to memory and then just bring them out at the most like random times, which is my favorite thing ever. I love it so much. That's my goal is to memorize a couple when Emma and William are older and like when they have friends over, just pull them out to embarrass them. <laughs> so. Yes. perfect oh my gosh I love like I love a good pun like I I like some you know highbrow like super witty humor as well but like give me a good pun and I'm so happy (laughs) like I'm just so happy okay so let's transition to parenting wins this is my favorite part of the podcast we always say like doesn't matter how you get them if you get one in a in a desert of fails or if you get them you know consecutive we'll take them however we get them um my parenting win for this week is that we're moving and actually by the time this podcast releases i will already be moved and we have chores that the kids do around the house and like they help pick up and they they throw away their own garbage and like they do that they do all that but i just didn't expect a lot of help out of the move you know I was like clearly mom and dad are gonna do most of this so I I, what I need you to do is just not screw it up like when I've packed something like just know this is off limits but what happened the other day is I was in the boys closet and I'm ashamed to say like maybe this is a confession too but I found two tea clothes in our closet and Riggs hasn't worn two tea clothes like I'm not even sure he was wearing two tea clothes when he was born like he was a big guy Like he's massive. And so he's been wearing 4T clothes since we moved here, which means that I knowingly packed clothes that were too small for either of my kids when we moved from Tennessee. (laughs) And I just haven't in a year gone through the kids clothes, which is on me. But, you know, I'm gonna give myself some grace because it's been a it's been a year. It's been a year. (laughs) It's been a year. So anyway, I was in there and Cash came in there and was like, what are you doing? I was like, well, I'm, you know, attempting to organize your closet and get stuff ready for the move. And he was like, organizing, that sounds fun. And I was like, he is my child. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, it is kind of fun, actually. And he was like, let me help. And I was like, oh, this is going to last like five minutes. He's going to get really irritated. That child stayed in there with me for an hour and a half and was so happy to do so. 
he, he kept saying, this is so fun. I can't believe we're doing, like, we get to do this. Can we do something else next? And I was like, well, we're going to take a break because mom is tired. <laughs> um, but he worked for an hour and a half on organizing his closet. He did all the work. I really just kind of stood there and helped dictate, you know, this we need to keep this. We don't need to keep this. And then he moved on to his bathroom and did the same thing and organized all his bathroom stuff and put it in bins. And I was just like floored. I was completely floored. It felt like a parenting win. That's a win. Yeah. I was going to say not even in the sense that I did anything right, but just that I get to be the parent to this kid, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So I would love to hear about your parenting win. Yeah. This happened like two nights ago. We don't give Emma and William a lot of sugar and a lot of candy. Mm. But this night, Kara had Skittles that she was eating. And I don't know. We just were like, well, sure, you can have some Skittles. And she was almost to the end of the bag. And so she gave some to Emma, she gave some to William, and then Kara ate, you know, finished off the bag. And so William ate his really quickly because he's like, sure, ah. <laughs> and then he was sad that they were all gone, and Emma still had a few left. And so she put some in her mouth, and then William started crying, and she went, Bubba's crying. And I said, yeah, Bubba's sad he ate all of his Skittles. And so she, <laughs> it's kind of gross, but she took out part of her chewed up Skittle and wanted to give it to her brother. That's so he adorable. would be happy. And it was so gross because she's got this chewed up <laughs> skittle in her hand. But it was so sweet that like she wanted to take care. And Emma's the she's she's the oldest. She knows that she's the oldest. She's the oldest by three minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> but she she acts like she's the older sibling. And she just wanted to care for her brother, make him stop crying. And Karen and I were just floored by because typically we're that age where they're they're two and a half and like everything is theirs. Like mine, uh-huh. not sissies, mine, not mothers. Yes. And so they're just arguing and fighting all the time. And we were just floored that Emma wanted to share her skills with William, even That's though they so were partly sweet. chewed up. And so <laughs> it was a it was a win in our book. Yeah. <laughs> but of course we were like <laughs> we were like, hey, it was very sweet, Emma, but like put that one back in your mouth. <laughs> I you was can just give the thinking, one that you haven't chewed up yet. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. I was just thinking about how most of the things that kids do are sweet and gross at the same time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> most of the time. Most of the time. Like often oh. when Riggs will come up to give me something or whatever, like he'll he'll touch my hand and I'm like, why why is everything sticky? Why why yes. are we doing this? So yeah. <laughs> I'll just share another win where we're Please. Trying to begin potty training, Ooh. which is an adventure in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other day, Emma said, Daddy, I've got to poop. And I said, okay, well, you know, do you want to go sit on the potty? And she said, no, and then ran towards the couch. And so it was in the morning. I'm making lunch for them to go to go to uh, preschool. And I look around. I'm like, Emma, it's time to go. Where are you? And she's sitting on her kitty potty, of course, still enclosed, still with her diaper on. But she went to go sit on the potty to use the bathroom. And I was like... Yes, yeah, we're that's slowly getting there. Success. <laughs> yeah, that's good. We are, Riggs is three. We're still potty training, obviously. Um, and what he does when I say, do you want to go to the potty? Because he's, it, it's very clear when he's got to poop. Like, and also you can hear him grunting from the other room. Like, <laughs> it's a process. And he has to get completely naked. Without, I mean, he still has a pull-up on, but he will not poop if he's got clothes on, which is a problem when you're out at a restaurant, by the way, um, which has happened. Literally, he came up to me while we were at a restaurant and was like, take my clothes off. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, you will be constipated before you will be naked in public, child. So anyway, he he often will just like retreat to another room and doesn't want to be looked at or seen. But every time I ask him if he wants to go to the potty, he's like, no. And then he runs around the corner, like hides in a closet, poops, and then comes out like he's like a queen and is just like, change me. (laughs) I think it's I think it's a boy thing because William does something similar. Yeah, he clear very clearly has to poop and he. He, I'll go, do you want to go sit on the potty? And he'll go, no. And then, like, he'll go in another room and we'll hear him grunting. Or, like, in our living room, we have a chair next to the TV and he'll, like, crawl behind the chair and hide. Yep. And, like, if he sees us looking at him, he'll turn his back. That's so, like, what Riggs he won't does. see us. And then when he's done pooping, he's like, I pooped. Yeah, so happy. <laughs> I'm just like, oh. 
He, when I get him out of the bath, uh, bath or the shower or whatever, he always, he says, mommy, will you make me a princess? And I take the towel and put it around him. And you know, it's, it's just like that. It's like, he's just coming out with his like princess towel. And he's like, I've done it. Like now is the time for you to change me. It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, this has been a segment called Parenting Fails, Confessions, and Wins, FCW. I want to remind you that if you have your own fails, confessions, and wins that you want to share with the podcast, you can do so via voice memo. We would love to hear your voice, or you can type it out to us on Instagram and Twitter, at uh, autoparent. And now it's time to do a little something different. It's time for our Get Real segment, where each week we take the lectionary passage and get real. Our lectionary text for this week comes from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, the ascension of Jesus. And here it is in the New Revised Standard Version. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Interspersed with some baby shouts. And here comes some more. (laughs) And makes it more holy. Yeah, right? Exactly. (laughs) It's okay. All right, so let's talk about some initial reactions from this text. Um, Why don't you go first? Just initial reactions. Yeah, I mean, my initial reaction is every time I read this text, it's just like funny to me. Like still how the disciples just still don't get it. Like they're like, (laughs) they're just like... Jesus, you've you've been crucified, you've been raised. Is now the time? Like, are you finally going to restore the the kingdom of of Israel? Like, is now the time when you're going to get rid of these oppressive Romans? And I can just imagine Jesus like face palming, like, <laughs> guys, what? No, <laughs> you've missed it. And like, it's so comforting to me as well that like, I'm in good company. Like, we're all in good company, you know. Even when we miss the mark, the disciples still, after forty days of seeing Jesus risen <laughs> still have missed the mark and then it gets even funnier like jesus is bodily ascended into heaven and like just picture them like standing and staring like well, what do we do now <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> right it's I'm, just it's, it's just a comical scene to me <laughs> it is it's comical to me too i will say my first reaction is the really snarky like he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and yet they never get it. It's it's a remarkable how how many times on the podcast we've referenced this, like how many signs the disciples get, how many like there's this line from a podcast with Pastor Kelly Grimes, which came out recently, where Jesus asks to be fed like hangry Jesus and she says this thing like maybe maybe I'll figure it out while I eat this fish and it's like it's it's just something that plays in my mind over and over and over again like they didn't figure it out while he was eating that fish (laughs) (laughs) they still haven't figured it out and you know when they see him bodily ascend like I just imagine yeah 
Like you, it's just like a dog that hears a whistle. Like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> what? Oh, and like these messengers, angels, whatever we want to call them are like, why, why are you doing this? He's already told you. Jesus has told you what to do, to go and wait, which isn't an easy thing to do. Right. Um, to go and wait. But he's like, he's already told you. So why are you still staring up in heaven? <laughs> it's like a child who lost their balloon. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and like, while I laugh at the disciples, like a part of me is like, and I always, I always tell the folks at, at Pulaski first, this like, as, as often, as fun as it is to make fun of the disciples. Yes. Right. Scripture oftentimes is a mirror. And like, so while I'm laughing, I'm also like kind of crying, crying. inside my soul. <laughs> <laughs> because like, how often am I standing, staring figuratively, like asking for Jesus to do something when he's already told me what to do? Yeah. When God's already said, like, here's here's what, what you need to do. It's to love your neighbor as yourself, as difficult as it might be. Yeah. I think that's a word. Yeah. How often I think I get it. How often I think I I get it. And then the Holy Spirit's like, no, I said something recently to our confirmands that I think is, is speaking directly to what you're saying, which is that, um, the day, like we were talking about doubt and how it's okay to ask questions and how it's okay to sort of interrogate. We were reading some Psalms that were, lament psalms, but also like interrogative. And so we were talking about this posture of prayer, really. And what I said was our inclination to think that we figured it out. It's a small leap from there to hate and -hmm. oppression. Like it's a really small leap to take from I have figured it out to uh, creating systemically oppressive systems. Like it's really not far. (laughs) No, it's Um, it's not. It's not. And so having a, having, I actually think it's quite endearing to be like, ah, well, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. So yeah, I think it's like, I think it's super endearing that the disciples really haven't figured it out yet. I think it's actually kind of cool. And there's some solidarity in that for me of like, yeah, we're all just kind of figuring out this thing together. There's this cosmically big and beautiful thing that we've encountered and been a part of. And yeah, we don't really know how to make sense of it. Of course they don't. Like, of course we don't. And to me, it's just kind of like, it's kind of beautiful. Yeah. No, it is like the very people who who saw Jesus do all of these things, right? Even after this, still don't get it. And like, so 2000, give, give space for 2000 years. And like, it is very endearing and cool and comforting that, the church is still trying to figure it out. <laughs> you know, like we're still trying to figure it out. And if the disciples haven't gotten it and they saw it firsthand, right, it's comforting. And it's also comforting, like the messengers aren't, I don't think they're words of condemnation. They're just like, hello, <laughs> you know, he's told you what to do. So, so let's, let's go and do it. Yeah. So. I think that's, I think the role of the messengers here is really important. And I, I'm wondering, where do you see those kinds of messengers in your own life, in your own ministry? Um, if you could talk more about that. Yeah, oh, that's such a good question. So in my own life, Kara is often a messenger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the churches I served was it was a very, very toxic church. There was some wonderful people there, but just they allowed their anxiety to get the best of them. Oh, yeah. Um, it was a very anxious system. And so... I was doubting myself, right? I was like their interpretation of my leadership capabilities. Like I was just doubting my calling, doubting myself. And I was just kind of word vomiting to Kara. And she just looked at me one day and she said, does your worth come from God? Or does your worth come from the people of this church? Yeah. And she said, I think, you know, the answer to that question. Yeah. Um, And like, God has this amazing way of placing those people in our lives to like remind us that no matter what, uh, as the Mark Miller song goes, no matter what people say, no matter what the world says, you are a beloved child of God. That's where our worth is defined. And then another person in my life who who is often serves as a messenger is my spiritual director. She's just wonderful. And God bless spiritual directors. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're talking, we were talking about the one being a one, she's a one as well. And so we do some Enneagram coaching and um, I was just talking about how, you know, all the stuff that's going on in life. And she said, 
and it's a mantra in my head now. She said, as a one, we take our emotions and we use them to fuel our actions. And she said, the challenge for a one is to sit and be still and see God and what you're feeling. So if you're angry, where is God in that anger? If you're sad, where is God in that sadness? If you're feeling betrayed, where is God in that betrayal? And that's just, that's a word in and of itself. (laughs) Yeah, that's really beautiful. And obviously I can, I can totally relate to that. I, I think that our natural inclination in the midst of a pandemic, which I'll say is there are varying sort of degrees at which this pandemic has, has impacted people, right? There are some people who their lives really haven't changed all that much. There are some people who have missed Christmases and have missed Thanksgivings and haven't seen their families or haven't been able to hug their families until they've, you know, finally been vaccinated. There are some churches who have been in person the whole time. There are some who have shut down intermittently. There are some like Foundry who haven't been back in person at all. And so there are varying degrees to which this this pandemic has impacted both spiritual and emotional health. But what I will say is that like, I don't think we've really reckoned with the toll that this collective experience is going to have on our grief and on our the way we continue to interact in the world from this point forward. It's something as a one that personally I try to deflect away from, right? I, I, I transition into action, everything that you're saying, or I'm unhealthy and I spiral into like a four emo ball, <laughs> which is exactly what I call it. I call it my emo ball. Nobody understands me. This is all existential. Like it's, it's, you know, it's a whole thing. But as a clergy person, one of the things that I feel really is powerful in this moment as you're talking is that like one of the things that we can perhaps do as messengers is say, yeah, this thing is confusing. Of course you didn't get it. Like, as opposed to saying, like, why didn't you get it? We've been talking about this the whole time. Like, the CDC has been saying this from the very beginning. Like, it's not about that. It's about, like, this sort of the alchemy of this whole thing, which we really can't logistically or in a linear sort of sense make a whole bunch of, like, action toward. What we really need to be doing is holding space for and sitting with people and saying, like, are you having big emotions that you feel like are misplaced? Yeah, guess what? Our whole country and world just went through this really, really traumatic thing. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> we feel it in our bodies. We feel it in our souls. And what you were saying about how is God present in this moment? That's the question. How is God present right. in this moment? Not to remove yourself from this moment and seek God in some ethereal sense, right? Which as we're talking about, the ascension, it could be um, sort of a tool of convenience, right? This escapism ideal of Jesus will come again. Don't worry about it. But to seek God in the midst of what's happening right now, which is more confusion, (laughs) less figuring it out. Right. And like the beautiful thing about this is, is Jesus says, you need to go and wait, right? Because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Waiting too. Yes. Right. And then they kind of don't fully understand still. And then, so they're looking at Jesus and the messengers give the exact same thing. Like you're to go and you're to wait. And and what I find so beautiful is the next story or the next chapter isn't them going in some ethereal place and finding God, right? It's God in the form of the Holy Spirit descending upon the people, God coming to us, right? And that's not saying to go into what John Wesley talked about as quietism and like, we don't do anything, right? (laughs) But it's to say that even in the confusion, even in the waiting, God has not abandoned us and God is comforting, God is healing, God is doing amazing work, um, even in the midst of confusion and chaos. And, and Pentecost in and of itself can seem like a very confusing moment, right? Tongues of fire and wind and people speaking in, in different languages, but the Holy Spirit is bringing unity in, in the midst of confusion. Yeah, I think that's so important. I, I think that's so, so important. I'm reminded of how, as you're talking about Pentecost, like we just continue to use the word confusing. Like I would invite our listeners and us to sort of mine that word and to think a little bit about what that actually means. Because for me, it's sort of like a a vortex of analysis and emotion and analysis of our emotion, and like inability to make sense of all of those things together collectively with like whatever shit is happening around us, you know? And so I'm just thinking about how like that has been part of our story for a very long time. 
And actually the, the beauty of the church is that we're all just kind of in this together, figuring it out. And honestly, we've gotten it wrong more than we've gotten it right. So we've talked about like a lot. I wonder if you feel like this text has anything to say specifically to parents. Yeah. I mean, I think when we were talking about confusing, like, I don't know about the listeners, but I know parenthood is certainly very confusing to, to Kara and I, you know, are we making the right decisions, especially like in the middle of everything that's been going on, right? We were, uh, my spouse is a photographer and uh, she's building her own photography business. And at first we didn't want to send him and William to school. And so Kara being a stay at home mom, as well as trying to build a business from the ground up, like was just very difficult. And so we made the decision to send them to the nursery school at the church. And we really wrestled with that idea. Is this the right decision? Uh, is this the wrong decision? And I think the beauty of, of this story is like, Jesus doesn't tell them to go and make decisions. He doesn't tell them to go and do anything. He tells them to wait, to go pray, wait, and recognize that God is with you. And like, I think that's such a peaceful and comforting word, not just to parents, but to all of the chaos in life, right? That we may not have the right answers all of the time, but that God is still with us. And that somewhere along the way, God will give us a little bit of light (laughs) to illumine the path. And I think that's comforting. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's also something that that me as a parent needs to hear, that our, our listeners who are parents need to hear as well, is just like, a common theme on the podcast, but you're not alone. God is with you. We are with you. (laughs) Like we're all just figuring this out on this journey together. And an encouraging thing is just a reminder that we have access to spirit whenever we want her and that she has access to us all the time. (laughs) which is great to know that any moment when things get hard, which like just to be transparent, this podcast right now, like my kids are going nuts and it's as a one who wants this to be like super perfect and quiet. Like I have a child taking a surge protector and banging it on my luggage right now. And it's hard. The whole thing is hard. But what I can feel in myself a little bit is my anxiety starting to rise. And when I felt that, what I, I did what I usually do, which is kind of turn inward toward a posture of like, whew, and all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, Julian of Norwich, right. or like some kind of mantra that gives me access to tap into spirit, who just says, yeah, girl, me too. <laughs> people do like colloquialisms for God speaking, but like to me, imagining spirit as being like, yeah, girl, me too. Like is just real helpful, especially in this moment. So yeah, I would just encourage like all of our listeners to find that point of connection with spirit, however it comes for you and uh, to tap into it whenever you feel all of this confusion or being overwhelmed or any of those things, because that's what we're left with. Right. And that's in the text that we were going to look at today. When Jesus prays for the disciples, like that's what Jesus is saying. And it's present all throughout John, right? This gift of spirit and what that looks like. And and so, yeah, it just feels like a, a very poignant message. I'm reminded of what, of what Celtic theology um, talks about the thin places, right? Finding those thin places where, where the spirit and you mesh just so well um, and, you know, for some that's nature, for some that may be a church building, for some that may be with your spouse or with your kid. I probably wouldn't say all the time with your kid. <laughs> right. <laughs> From doing another parent confession. Um, for others, it may be doing a certain activity. For some, it, you know, maybe whatever, but finding that moment where you and, and spirit connect those thin places. Yeah, that, that reminds me of a, I had a professor in seminary who did a lot of work with a church at the the Mexico-United States border. And there was a steel wall that obviously separated the people of the church. Like people on both sides of this wall were celebrating together as the church. And there was kind of like a, a mesh, a steel mesh covering. And so all you could fit were your pinkies through that. And that's how they passed the piece. And it's this very visceral representation of the thin places that you're talking about. Being able to find a break in the wall to be connected to our own humanity, to the humanity of others, because that's how we encounter spirit through one another and through 
meditation or whatever sort of practical things that we employ to communicate and be present with spirit. So yeah, I'm so glad you shared that because it, it reminds me of that, that beautiful visceral picture. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about this text? No, I mean, <laughs> I think we talked about it all from the from the silly to the serious. Yeah, um, yeah. It, so. This was really good, and and I'm really really happy that we got to do this particular text together. It felt felt good. It did. It was good. It was good. Okay. I'm just still laughing. I just reread. Lord, is this the time when you're going to come to restore? <laughs> it just made me laugh again. <laughs> well. It has been an honor to be with you, and I'm so excited that we were able to do this together. So you want to say bye and let everybody know how they can get in contact with you if they so choose? Yeah, it's been an honor, too. Thank you so much, Casey. Um, you can find me on Facebook. I'm a, I'm a poor excuse for millennial. I only have Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> So if you just search Zach Moffat and Pulaski, you'll find me, you know, check out our church's Facebook page, check out our church's website, FEMC Pulaski. Uh, if you, if you're on Facebook, it's FEMC Pulaski, Tennessee, there's a Pulaski, Virginia. Oh, um, yes, there is so two different, two very different places. Um, yes, so Pulaski, is. Tennessee. Um, and if you're ever this way for any reason, listeners come check us out. I'd be curious to why you're in Pulaski, Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. All right. Well, awesome. I will talk to you again soon. It was so good to see you. Awesome. See you, Casey. Thanks for listening to the Auto Parent Podcast. We're going to leave you with a parent mantra, something you can say to yourself or to your partner just to know that you're not alone. Your mantra for this week is, I have access to spirit. I have access to spirit. Because friends, if we don't believe that, it's going to be really hard to convince our kids. And remember this, you don't have to be an auto parent to be a good one. I've been your host, Pastor KC. You can follow me on Twitter at RevKCVC. Join us next week, same time, same place. find out more information about Foundry United Methodist Church by visiting our website, www.foundryumc.org. If you're specifically looking for information about our family ministries department or our offerings for parents, you can find those at www.foundryumc.org slash family ministries.